G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. And uh, it's a privilege to welcome to the studio Dr. Sam Hay. Welcome along, Sam. Tell us a bit of your, your story. Where were you born and raised? Uh, I grew up in uh, Tasmania. My uh, grandfather came out to Tasmania to plant a church there, and um, uh, that's where I was uh, raised. Yep. And uh, then um, I taught science for a number of years, but I found that um, teaching people about Jesus um, was uh, probably my passion and drive. Uh, so I moved on to be a chaplain in schools and uh, then to be pastoring a church for a number of years in Victoria and then in Brisbane and uh, then moved on to be teaching at Christian Heritage College. Fantastic. And, and what subjects do you tackle at uh, CHC? I really love to tackle Bible. Yep. I think that's central to who we are, what we believe, and it really takes us into a relationship with Jesus mm-hmm. and the core of what we believe. And then I'm also very uh, passionately interested in how we apply that to real life. So I teach uh, leadership, uh, teach um, sociology, what's it mean in society, uh, history, what can we learn from that, but how can we apply it today? So mm-hmm. I love the application areas as mm-hmm. well. Fantastic. Now, I just want to backtrack a bit to your upbringing. You know, you mentioned you were raised in a Christian household, of course. Mm-hmm. Was there a conversion experience, like a youth camp, or, you know, is there a moment you can go, yep, that's what happened, or was it just a gradual thing for you? Yeah, certainly at uh, age 15, at a youth camp, I'd been raised in my parents' faith. Mm-hmm. And then at 15, I had the uh, opportunity to make a decision to make Christ Lord of uh, my life. Yep. And then since that time, it's always been a personal relationship. Uh, yep. People yep. ask, uh, well, do you believe in God? I talk to God each day, so I know he's there, and uh, talk to Christ. And uh, so I have that living experience of a relationship with God and Christ. And and then I find uh, I see his hand upon my life all the way through the life Mm -hmm. journey. Mm -hmm. Now, before we get into the the subject today, uh, I'm a big advocate of Bible college. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I, I spent four years in Bible college as a young fella and it laid a foundation for me for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did uh, AOG Bible college and I did a year of C3 Bible college uh, doing creative arts as well. So I just found that, you know, as a, as a young guy in his twenties, it gave me a sense of direction for the rest of my life. And it's helped me obviously as a pastor, helped me as a husband, helped me working in Christian radio as well. And I'm always encouraging people to do some form of Bible college. And, you know, you don't even have to go to the campus these days. You can do it online. Mm. Um, just give us uh, give, give us your best plug. What, why, like anyone listening right now, if they've never done Bible college, yeah. why should they just give it a, give it a crack? I think if you do one year at Bible college or three years at Bible college, that'll give you 10 or 20 years of growth and knowledge. Mm. That is, you've got lecturers standing in front of you who've been learning and read dozens of books. Um, Without Bible college, you might read one book in three months, six months. When you go to Bible college, they tell you, write an essay and read 10 or 20 books in the next (laughs) uh, three weeks or something like that. So the pressure's on you to learn a lot and your resource with the other thing is that you're also networked with a much wider range of 
people mm. than before you came. That's so, right. so often uh, you've listened to your pastor, you've listened to a, a few um, key people that you value, you've read about them. But when you come to Bible college, you're introduced to the whole 2,000 years mm. of the great teachers of God mm. over that period of time. And you listen to all the uh, major ideas that they uh, bring. And also you develop a balance between them. And mm. so before college, you've got your pet way of learning that is just wait on God and pray. And then after Bible college, you realize that there's a lot of other tools in the tool book. It's a bit like learning to be a carpenter. Yeah. Um, you can learn to be a carpenter without ever having studied or learnt anything, but you yeah. probably just yeah. use a hammer or whatever. Yeah. But once you've uh, gone and learnt carpentry, then you'd know there's lots of tools in your belt. And I think uh, Bible college or any of the other college uh, studies, so at Heritage College, uh, they have a great Bible college in Christian uh, Ministry College, CMC, and you can go online and see when open times are. But also they uh, have other studies in education, uh, studies in counselling, um, uh, studies in business, um, studies in the social sciences. Um, and so there's lots of other areas that you can study as well. And I always say we, we invest maybe hundreds of thousands into a house. We invest in Medicare. Sometimes we take out insurance for our pets. Invest in your life journey. Mm-hmm. That is to invest, whether it be twenty or 30000 or whatever, um, compare that to a house mortgage. It's a small investment with great rewards. Yeah. So invest in your life journey and Absolutely. education. And, you know, I can't tell you the number of times that I've gone into my library and pulled out my Bible college folders because I actually did it by correspondence. So I've got all these folders, you know, those those folders full of, you know, uh, all the, the documents, you know, and I've gone and looked at, you know, a passage uh, about, uh, um, you know, end times that, yes. that I study, yes. you know, yes. or a passage about uh, the historicity of the Bible mm. or a mm. passage about something mm. in the Old Testament or something, you know, and... Obviously, you can go online and you can Google, you know, mm. and you've got to be careful what you Google and where you search these days. But yeah. I can remember, you know, I, I can go back to my Bible college notes and I can remember what the lecturer said and what the topic was. And, you know, and it can actually help you have that solid foundation for your life. And, and the problem these days is that there is so much information that we're getting pumped into us. Yeah. And we need to be discerning yeah. what's actually, you know, is it from a cult? <laughs> is it is it from a a uh, you know a, a sect of the Christian Church, or is it actually true Christian teaching? We need to be discerning in these times, don't we? We do, and that's what I'd like to talk a bit about today. Is what are some of the skills that we can develop mm. that help us to discern what is the real truth? from uh, other truths uh, that everyone claims. We, we live in an avalanche of information mm. where uh, whether it be the supermarkets or whether it uh, be everyone selling something uh, and we have to make decisions about uh, how we uh, live our life. Sometimes I guess we need to disconnect mm. but we also need to connect with good solid sources of information and mm. I think Vision Radio is, is a great source and I think some study areas uh, such as uh, Christian Heritage College and mm. the other colleges are always uh, great places as well. But we also need to be able to discern if we pick up a book or if uh, we watch something on YouTube, is it solid? Um, and we need to uh, think through um, 
what are the um, sources here that we're looking at? Can mm-hmm. we uh, research them? I tell my students, uh, you see someone's uh, name presenting something, Google it, find out a bit more about their background. Mm. And, th- and then if you find a, a, that they're a, a weird, strange person, then think twice about accepting <laughs> their information. But yeah. if you find that they're well-credentialed, um, I guess the exception to that is that uh, people can be just knowledge-focused, and so you could become a, a great expert on algebra or something, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you know all about God and Jesus. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I think we have to uh, look for balance, and uh, we've got to develop skills to be able to evaluate the different sources that are out there. Mm. Well, let's turn our attention to some important foundations for every Christian believer. Uh, You know, when you look at the Garden of Eden, there's good knowledge and bad knowledge. And I know like you you like to teach on this. What's Mm. what's your take on that? Oh, certainly... um, uh, there's good knowledge, which is the word of God, uh, wisdom and truth and trust in God. That is God speaking to uh, Adam and Eve. And so uh, they've got some good wisdom there. And God's saying, hey, there's some good fruit here in the garden, but there are some things that you shouldn't touch. And uh, bad knowledge is when we pursue some of the things that we uh, shouldn't touch. And mm. uh, so I think in the life journey, we need to know the difference between good knowledge, bad knowledge. Sometimes it's a, a matter of the, um, the timing in the life journey. I mean, uh, a six-year-old wants to know where dad keeps the car keys and wants to know how dad drives the car. Well, that's not the right time to learn about <laughs> that, is it? So uh, good knowledge and bad knowledge can be partly about timing. And good knowledge and bad knowledge can also be partly about humility. Uh, I've got a power saw or a chainsaw. I've got um, some knowledge on how to switch it on, mm. but I need some more knowledge and I need humility when it, it comes to that. And I need some other people to teach me about how to use things. Uh, so I think sometimes the difference between good knowledge and bad knowledge is also about relationships. Who's teaching me um, and uh, wh- what are they teaching me about how to use the knowledge that I have and what attitude and heart attitude should I have when I use that knowledge? And, you know, if you look at uh, Romans 16, verse 19, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul said, I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Uh, it shows us the dangers of, of knowledge and, and certain forms of knowledge, doesn't it? You know, we need to be wise about that, don't we? Oh, certainly, um, uh, uh, we can have uh, knowledge about certain things. In, in a marriage relationship, you can have knowledge, but you've got to be wise about what you say, don't you? <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so I think it's one thing to have knowledge, but it's another to have a right heart attitude. Mm. Um, uh, it's another to know when to use that knowledge and to how to use that knowledge. So knowledge alone isn't true knowledge. Wisdom describes knowledge combined with um, knowing when and how to use that knowledge. And, you know, there's so much information that we're given these days. And, you know, I, I find, particularly as a pastor, so a, lot, a lot of people in my church, they watch all sorts of YouTube things, all sorts of different preachers, different, you know. Mm. And, you know, we've got a lot of new Christians in our church too, you know, and, and they're just learning how to, to grow in God. What, what would you be your advice be to people about how to, to discern what is true and what is fake? I think you need a balanced diet. It's like food. You can't just eat all uh, of certain sugary foods. Mm. Uh, And same with uh, knowledge. Um, You could put on uh, certain um, uh, news stations and discover the world has really got uh, lots of problems. But you need to take uh, time for some uh, good food. Certainly the Word of God uh, reminds us that uh, God is on the throne. When I get up of a morning, sometimes before I've had my quiet time and read the Word, um, uh, then um, uh, the world doesn't look so good. And so Mm. I think 
think you need the Word of God. You need uh, prayer. You need to also develop that uh, inner sense of uh, what's right and true Mm, mm. and that inner sense of uh, what's uh, not right and true. There's something questionable about that sort of knowledge. You need to have good relationships around and decide what's the network of people that I really trust. We travel through life in relationship with others and we've got to decide who are the others that I trust Mm, and mm. uh, when can I be open to them speaking into uh, my life. Yeah. And and when we come back to the Bible, uh, you know, Sam, as you look at Old Testament times, I remember uh, learning at Bible college about that there was patterns that the people of Israel went through. They, mm. they honored God yeah. and they were, you know, had a, had a time of prosperity and blessing or whatever, you know, mm. and then they started turning to idols mm. and they'd intermarry and they do this, you know, and then they go away from God and then they'd have a, a time of war or something and things would get bad and then they'd turn back to God. Uh, that, that seems to be a pattern for the Christian life, doesn't it? We, we go up and down a bit, don't we, mate? We do. And I think any time you take on a new task, you often begin with enthusiasm for the first uh, few weeks and the same with the Christian life. Yeah. And then over time, we need persistence. We need habits, yeah. good habits. And James K.A. Smith reminds us um, in his writings and books about the importance of good habits mm. to carry you through the whole of uh, the life uh, journey. Um, and then just as in Old Testament times and New Testament times, they were challenged by all sorts of other claims. We're being challenged by those sorts of many claims today. And so we need systems to deal with the many um, claims. And I think one of those is just to choose your focus, develop habits, have a quiet time, uh, going to church each uh, Sunday, um, tuning into all of these ways that God speaks to us mm. is very, very important. And I love the proverb that says, wisdom is found in the counsel of many. Mm. Um, I've always had that principle. Like I had a, a difficult situation. I just had six weeks holidays, right? You know, mm. started back last Friday. So I've had long surface leave, you know, started back work. And then there was this drama that happened in someone's life in the church that I had to sort out, you know. And and I was like, Lord, the, couldn't, you, couldn't it have been a bit easier coming back, you know? But you know, I, uh, I, I, I met with the person, I prayed with them, I talked to them about their situation, you know. But then... I rang a couple of pastor friends mm. and I said, hey, there's this situation that's arisen with such and such. Mm. Um, what, what's your advice, you know? And just hearing those pastors <laughs> who are a bit further on the journey than me, you know, yes. uh, give me their advice. It just helped settle my spirit and, you know, gave me some, mm. some perspective mm. to handle the situation, you know. It's so important that when we're trying to hear the voice of God, we don't just go it alone. We, we need the counsel of many. Mm. We need God's word, of course, um, mm. and we need a revelation as well, don't we? When, when we're trying to discern, you know, what's right and what's wrong, and, and and how to go forward with what God's put in our heart. Yeah, we certainly need to know as much as we can about the situation. Yeah. Um, and so I remember one uh, couple coming over when I was a pastor, uh, wanting advice, and I was madly looking up through my uh, books <laughs> from college as to how do I help this person uh, facing the challenges they face. They just come out of jail and they'd uh, faced marriage challenges. Yeah. So there was lots of challenges, and I, I was looking to God in prayer, looking yep. to the Word of God. Um, but we also uh, need to understand ourselves and our own emotions, and we need to 
to look for a settled spirit mm. and uh, we need to understand how are we reacting, why are we reacting uh, the way we're reacting. Um, and as you said, we need to uh, have the right perspective on the situation. Mm. Uh, um, sometimes we can be driven by the wrong motives and uh, the wrong perspectives. Mm. And uh, so we need to understand the situation, understand uh, with help from others, and then also understand ourselves yeah. when we come to the situation. And we've got Eliza from South Australia. How are you doing, Eliza? I'm doing good, thank you. How are you? Good. Have you got a question or a comment for Sam? I do. Um, my question is, what happened to the tribe of Dan? There you go. That, that's keeping you on your toes, mate. What happened to the tribe of Dan? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, they understand that the uh, tribe of uh, Dam were uh, taken away by the Assyrians in 722 uh, BC. Um, so uh, certainly um, the nation of Israel were doing well from the time of uh, David and Solomon, not so well under Saul, uh, through uh, about 300 years or so. And it uh, reminds us that uh, we can be doing well. But you've got to keep investing in future generations or you can get into uh, trouble. And then the warning uh, that was uh, given uh, repeatedly back um, 300 years before at the time of uh, David and Solomon uh, was that unless you uh, keep doing uh, the right thing, uh, keep uh, learning the right thing, uh, then you can get into trouble. And so 722 uh, BC, uh, as you read in Kings and Chronicles, um, the nation of Israel went up against the Assyrians. Uh, didn't handle it well, and there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from there. Uh, and today, that's what we're talking about, is uh, learning to um, handle the situations of life uh, well, having the right people around you, having the right knowledge, and acting in the right way with the right motives. And uh, Israel didn't do it at, at that time, and they lost 11 tribes. So if anyone out there knows where the 11 tribes are, including the uh, tribe of Dan, uh, do uh, get in touch with us. Uh, there's a tribe in um, up in the highlands of Papua New Guinea. Reckon they might be one of the lost tribes and yeah. there's a few others around <laughs> reckon they might be the lost tribes but if you know just uh, ring up and let us know where those lost <laughs> tribes are we'd be most grateful yeah thank uh, you Eliza what are your thoughts on that yeah yeah no that's great thank you what what made you ask that question Eliza I'm curious um I just wondered where they had disappeared to because all the other tribes um mm. They're still um, descendants from them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mainly yeah. mainly Judah is the main tribe that survives, and then there's uh, quite a few from Benjamin uh, survive as well. And then there are survivors from the other tribes, but they had to come in and befriend uh, the southern tribe of uh, Judah. And then uh, we read in Nehemiah how the uh, people of Judah weren't so keen on these uh, other tribes uh, coming in because they felt they didn't have uh, the right practices. And so Samaria and the Samaritans uh, to the uh, north were descended also from the um, uh, 10 northern tribes or 11 uh, northern tribes. So there are remnants of those tribes. But the tribe of Judah were the tribe that managed to keep the word of God together, managed to keep the truths of God together, managed to keep the spirituality alive. They kept the temple uh, going for many, many years as, as well. Shows the value of heritage and the value of passing on to the uh, next generations. Um, uh, you know, we've got a huge responsibility there. Yeah. Yes. Yes, and that's where um, our King Jesus came from. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so well, much for your call, you. Eliza.
Yeah, thank you. God bless. Bless you. Bye. And if you'd like to call three, phone lines are open 1-800-316-316. Maybe you've got a question. Our guest is Dr. Sam Hay, who's a Bible teacher and sociologist and an expert on Australian megachurches lecturing at Christian Heritage College in Australia. Now, we've got a few minutes to the news, Sam, and I'm just curious to know a bit about interpreting the Bible. A lot of people like to, you know, use all sorts of random Bible verses out of context. And Chuck Missler, one of my favorite preachers, says, if you take the text out of the context, all you're left with is a con. So you've got to look at the context in Scripture, don't you? Exactly. And I think uh, one of the contexts of Scripture is the context of the book in which each verse is located. So if you take half a verse out of a chapter or uh, out of a section of the book, you very likely might get the wrong interpretation. But if you read the whole of the book from the first chapter through to the end of the uh, book, uh, then you're more likely to get the right uh, meaning by considering um, the uh, setting uh, there. You also need to consider the plain, obvious meaning. Don't read too much in. And also recognize if there's figurative language, then you're likely to understand from the text itself uh, as to the language being figurative and why it is uh, figurative. Um, also, when uh, you read scripture, I think you need to also reflect on what's your heart attitude. How are you uh, looking at the uh, scripture? Um, that is, if you've got wrong attitudes when you come to scripture, then you can read it in the wrong way. So you, you need a good heart attitude, uh, a prayerful and humble attitude if you're going to read scripture well. Yeah. And I, I remember catching up with a new Christian recently and uh, they were talking about, you know, should I cut my hand off? You know, because <laughs> the Bible says in Matthew five thirty, you know, cut your, yes. your right hand off if you, you know, um, yes. it, it's speaking figuratively in in that yeah. context. Yeah. Um, just just unpack, you know, the the importance of understanding, uh, you know, speaking figuratively in Scripture. Certainly Matthew 5.30 is clearly figuratively where it says uh, if your hand uh, offend you and uh, there is a number of passages uh, that can be figurative. Another one is in Matthew 7.3, uh, why do you complain about the splinter in your brother's eye when you have a plank in your own eye? I. Some of this language, um, figurative language and parables, are used to promote us to think. Um, they don't just give us all the answers. They encourage us to think through what do we mean. And mm. I think you'll find many passages in scriptures aren't just giving you answers. They're challenging you to think for yourself. So mm. don't just go to uh, scripture expecting easy answers to every question. Go to scripture expecting God to challenge you, to grow you, to uh, develop you. And that's one of the reasons why we have figurative language and parables in the Bible is for our growth and development. And I know that there are, you know, some movements, uh, for example, like the Amish, you know, they take mm. very literal uh, the passage about women wearing a head head covering. Yes. Uh, and, you know, they, they take it literally. Uh, but most of Christendom doesn't take that literally. Uh, just explain to us, you know, how to explain. Like I have, I've had people come to me and say, "Oh, should I wear yes. a headdress?" You know, um, how, what's what, in layman's terms? How do you explain that to people? I had the joy of going with my wife to uh, Amish uh, um, 
country in um, just out of Philadelphia, and, yeah. and we spent a day or so uh, there with some of the uh, Amish people, uh, and it was a wonderful life. Interestingly, some of them would have a telephone, but they wouldn't have it in the house because it would corrupt the house, so they'd have it in a shed out the back, and you could only <laughs> use it if you got the key and went down and opened it up to use wow. uh, the mobile phone or, or, or whatever. When they had bicycles uh, in the Amish country in Philadelphia, they wouldn't have pedals on them because that could destroy the family. You could ride too far and get into too much much trouble. You had to have a full-size bike, but you could only push on the bike down to the local shop and uh, back. And <laughs> So they have all, all of these guidelines. And these remind us that people often have human rules that come uh, along um, and that they put beside the Bible. And I think it's very hard to avoid having some traditions, um, uh, whatever church background uh, you're from. So it's good to be aware of your traditions, good to be aware of why they're held, and it's good to think through through um, on regular occasions, um, what, what is the value of the traditions that we hold? We have um, a tradition of communion. Many churches have a tradition of communion uh, being held once a week, and then others say, or oh, we could have a tradition of once a month, etc. But I think it's important that we realize we're not just drawing from Scripture. We're using tradition in various ways, and we have to think through uh, why do we value that tradition? How do we uh, use it? So we need to be uh, smart at reading Scripture and understanding how God's speaking to us there. We need to be smart at the same time of reading the traditions that we're involved in as well at the same time. And joining us on the line right now, we've got Marg from Brisbane with a question. How are you, Marg? Fine. What's your question for Sam today? My question today is, um, what does Sam believe the Bible says about our souls after death? And the second question is, what does Sam believe about the Bible says about the Sabbath and with an increasing number of people like Chuck Mishler saying that he kept the Sabbath and Sunday. So just interested on those two questions. A couple of easy ones for you there, Sam, hey? The soul. Let's start with the soul. You're certainly, um, I think... Uh, there's a number of ways in which we know uh, truth and one of the ways in which we know about what happens to the soul after death is that there's many Bible verses uh, talk about uh, the power of God uh, to keep us uh, through this life and into the next life. Uh, I'm reminded of the analogy of twins in the womb before birth and one says, do you believe in life after birth? And the other says, I've never seen life after birth. And so <laughs> I think it's the same uh, here between this life and the next life. I think uh, when you see a baby born and a baby grow, then you know there's a miracle of life taking place. And then I've been with people who've been passing away and uh, um, well aware of the miracle of uh, the the new life, the next life uh, that's taking place uh, after that. So I think there's a number of uh, ways in which we know about the reality of life after this life. Um, And one of the major ones being scripture and then also uh, that which we can uh, learn from the life uh, around us. And then the other question on the uh, Sabbath is that the um, Genesis uh, chapter 1, we read uh, about how God rested um, on the uh, seventh day, and so that reminds us of the importance of uh, rest and uh, the importance of rest at the conclusion of of a project uh, that we uh, do. But in many ways, we rest at 
the conclusion of a project in order to be prepared for what is next. And this connects to your first question, is that we rest at the conclusion of this life in order to be prepared for the uh, next life. And so uh, Christians believe um, that the first day of the week is uh, the important day to um, uh, gather, to worship, to read the Word, uh, because this is the beginning of the new life that we have in uh, Christ. And so I think there's value in both approaches. The Jewish approach, which uh, looks at the uh, previous um, seven days and reflects on them and is thankful. And then the uh, um, more Jesus-centered approach, which the early church followed, which is to celebrate the first day of the week because it's a new covenant and it's a new way of starting uh, the week. So that's some of the historical background to those. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, Mark? I think that's good. I, I um, think our traditional way of looking at the Sabbath could be challenged a little bit these days because we're actually understanding more of our history and was did the disciples and Jesus, they still kept the Sabbath and they still kept Sunday, didn't they? They, they did both. They may have even done seven days a week, so that's another way to go. Is to... Oh, <laughs> Well, anyway, that's that's good. Yeah, thank you very much. Good on you, Mark. Thanks so much for your call. Thanks. And phone lines are open on 1-800-316-316. If you've got a question, our guest is Dr. Sam Hay from Christian Heritage College in Brisbane. And we've got Trevor from Swan Valley in WA. How are you, Trev? Uh, let me do, oh, let me let me just fix this up over here. There we go. I've almost got Trevor. Here he is. Are you there, Trevor? Hello. Yeah, I'm here. Yes. Hey, hey, mate, what's your question? Can you hear me? Um, I've been thinking about uh, God's creation. So the Bible talks about when he created the world, but I gather the angels were already created prior to to all that. Um, And looking at that, he's created the angels, given them a free will, but obviously some have rejected his and his fallen angels. And I think looking at it, they're created as eternal beings. And we're created as, as eternal beings. So we can't just reject God and, and that's the end of it. We, we, there's eternal consequences. I, I just want to, my question relates to God's creation in terms of eternal beings, like the angels are eternal, we're eternal. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think um, the opportunities we have for uh, change um, to our um, life is through our life journey and um, the angels have had uh, their changes that uh, they've made decisions about but I think um, your question reminds us of the importance of what we do in this life uh, journey as N.T. Wright from England once said God's goal is to get us to perfection at the end of our life as we go into the life to come after this life why not do it now why leave it for 10 or 20 years and so I think your question reminds us of the importance of transformation and change in our lives which can begin uh, now and uh, um, as we go on to reflect a little bit on John Wesley He um, was very much uh, concerned that there were uh, people at his time who said, God's just finished his work, let's accept it. And Wesley said, no, God's doing the work of perfection and holiness. Allow God to do more of that in your life. And so I think humans certainly have that opportunity, but I think we can often neglect that opportunity for transformation and change and holiness in our lives. What are your thoughts on that, Trevor? um 
not quite what I was thinking. Yes, I'm thankful that we've, we've given the opportunity to, to turn and have Jesus save us, but uh, it's just more in terms of God's creation that uh, what he creates is eternal mm. um, from, from that perspective. Yeah, I think what you say is very, very true. There are some things that change, but there are some things that are eternal. And um, Plato, uh, the Greek philosopher, said uh, you only have to look at maths, 2 plus 2 equals 4. That doesn't change. Um, and beauty, it, it doesn't change. And there's something about the human person uh, that you realize has an eternal nature to it. So I think there's a lot of evidence of the eternal that God has placed in our world all around us. And that's something to be great grateful for and, and thankful for and, and to me it's challenging that we're building for eternity yeah yeah amen good on you trevor thanks for your call thank you god bless and if you'd like to call three phone lines are open on 1-800-316-316 uh, we've got brent from merrigum in victoria how are you brent hello i'm going well thanks just not used to speaking publicly that's all <laughs> that's all right mate what's your question what's your question for sam um, you're talking earlier about uh, you're speaking about Bible college, yeah, and um, earlier, and I've never been done it myself, but um, I am walking with Jesus, and like all other believers, I have the ministry of telling others about Jesus and His resurrection, His death and resurrection. Yeah, um, could you would you say that um, Bible college is essential for um, for God to have a Christian to reach their fulfilment in ministry? Because I myself believe that grace is in the relationship with Jesus is. Good question, Sam. Yeah, I think many people won't have necessarily uh, the opportunity in terms of place. You may be living in a place where you, you can't necessarily do Bible college. Um, you may be at a stage of life. There may be financial uh, restraints. I think through history, many people have had uh, work requirements um, and people working on farms have not in, been able to do that. So I think um, for those who can't go to Bible college, I would encourage you to uh, study God's Word and certainly you can get some uh, great revelation uh, from that. And then uh, to move beyond the study of God's Word, you'll find that there's some great commentaries out there. And I think care needs to be um, shown when you choose a commentary. Um, if you see the word Salt Lake City, then realize that you have uh, <laughs> landed amongst the Mormon world. And so uh, you've got to make decisions then. But I think there's some great literatures uh, out there. Um, Martin Luther recently had his anniversary. You could uh, read uh, all his writings. And uh, so I think there's a lot of great ways that we can inform ourselves um, and so there's lots of opportunities out there if you don't have the opportunity to go to Bible college. Yes, thank you. Good on you, Brent. Thanks for your call. Thanks, too. God bless. Phone lines are open, 1-800-316-316. And, Sam, I'll just get on my high horse for a moment here on that subject. So one of the reasons I'm so passionate about people doing ministry school or Bible college mm. is I became a pastor at the age of 30, and I've been a youth pastor for 10 years I thought I was under-trained, under-equipped, and, and I was. Mm. But you know what? I learned on the job. <laughs> mm. And I actually believe there's a lot of people that are called to ministry, that could be in ministry, yeah. that have just stayed in their jobs, <laughs> that have just stayed yeah. in, in the secular world, so to speak, you know, um, because they think they're not good enough or they're too young or they're not equipped enough or whatever, you know. Yeah. But I, I believe that uh, there's a, you know, I mean, I remember when Billy Graham I remember learning about when Billy Graham preached in Australia and there was those crusades, the mm. Bible colleges were filled yeah. for years afterwards because so many people came to Christ and then felt the call to ministry. I believe we need another you know, great movement like that where people go back 
to getting trained and equipped and sent out to be in ministry because so many people are actually called to ministry, but they never take that step. And I think you could be a a great counsellor without having done one year or three years counselling, but you'd be a a much better counsellor if you did the one year, three years. Maybe you could be a heart surgeon, but you'd be a better (laughs) heart surgeon (laughs) if you do that. And Billy Graham was once uh, asked if he had, uh, say, three or four or five uh, more years, what would he do? And he said he'd spend one, two or three of those getting more fully trained. And wow. so I think there's real value Amazing. in getting trained if you've got the opportunity to get trained. Yeah. And also we can have multiple skills. So yeah. if you're in a workplace that requires you to work for 40 hours, you've still got some hours yeah. that you could be getting trained and equipped for the multiple tasks that God calls us to. Absolutely. Well, there's a good challenge, everyone. Do some ministry school or Bible college. You can do it online. You know, There's a lot, a lot of them out there. Um, we've got a lot of calls coming through. This is exciting. We've got uh, Charmaine from Mariba. How are you, Charmaine? I'm here. Yeah, where did I put the phone? <laughs> we, we, we've got a bit of an echo uh, there on the line, oh, but... Uh, okay, it's just that I was doing something and listening. I couldn't find the phone. Oh, that's Hi, a bit better. Um, what, what's your question? <laughs> My question is, um, uh, one is to do with that um, apostolic reformation, new apostolic reformation church, but part of that teaching, I'm just looking for your comment. Uh, one of the Parts of that teaching from the church that I was in was that God is sovereign, but he's not in control, that we are in control of this world. And I, and I mean, I, we actually left because of that. But um, I just wanted to hear what you had to say about it. Mm, Sam, hot topic. Yeah, I think it's like two sides of a coin. I, I think that God is sovereign. Um, but at the same time, we have to make choices through the life journey in terms of where we live, um, what jobs we do, etc. Um, the wonderful thing is that we often see the miraculous hand of God upon our lives where he just closes doors and opens doors. And I think that's marvelous to see the sovereignty of God. But like a parent raising a child, there'll be times when we see God challenging us to make a choice. I remember as a child, my um, mother saying, it's your job to choose which jumper we're going to buy here from the shop. And and so she was wanting me to take on responsibilities. And so I think one of the reasons that God um, puts us in that place of having to make decisions um, is because he's wanting us to grow and mature during the life journey. What are your thoughts on that, Charmaine? I probably didn't explain myself well enough in that area. The area of control wasn't so much the decision-making, but more so the fact that if God was in control, we wouldn't have such a mess in this world. That kind of control over you know, circumstances, if, if God was in control, then we wouldn't be in such a mess in this earth. Yeah, I think both is is very true, is that God has um, given us responsibility And uh, I think, again, like the two sides of a coin or the glass half full, glass half empty, we can be very thankful. Like in Australia, a number of choices have been made over the last uh, 200 years and over the last uh, um, thousands of years um, that lead us to have the place that we have here in Australia. And I think we can look at the glass half full, which shows that God has blessed us with so much, which shows that God has been in control in so many lives of so many people who've sown so much into this country. But on the other hand, I think there are people who didn't learn enough 
didn't pay attention at school, who've done the wrong thing in marriages and in the country, and um, uh, there's a lot of trouble around as well. So I think, uh, for me, life is often a glass half full and a glass half empty, and I usually look at the glass half full and are thankful for where God has been in control, and I'm prayerful about the other half, that God will be, um, as missionaries, we're called to go into uh, the glass half empty world where the troubles are, and that's part of the challenge and call of life is to minister to the needs that are out there. Amen. Thanks for your call, Charmaine. Okay, thank you. God bless. And phone lines are open 1-800-316-316. We've got uh, Heather from Harvey Bay who is uh, on the line there. Are you there, Heather? I am indeed. How are you? Good thank th- you. Good, thanks. What's your question? Um, well, it was more of a comment um, than anything, but also, um, A, I'm a relatively new Christian for about two years, but um, it was more about the history. I enjoyed Eliza's uh, comment on Dan the tribe of Dan the other day because, or today, because I was actually reading that um, about the tribes the other day in my Bible and um, I actually wondered the same thing. So, um, yeah, it was really interesting and I used my resource, I used the Jeremiah Study Bible and I found that at the beginning of each book it gives a history and a, an idea of what's going on in that particular book and with what you were talking about, taking things out of context, um, it gives you a really good context to be able to read that book and absorb the information along with the notes. Mm-hmm. So that's just what I found helpful. But I just wanted to say thanks to Eliza um, in South Australia for ringing up and asking the same question that I thought. Good on you, Heather. Thank, thank you so much for that. So how long ago did you become a Christian? Um, April 2020. Okay. How did it happen? I'd love to know. Um, actually, Vision was partly responsible for it, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Um, uh, I rented a car in, at Brisbane Airport and it was on Vision Christian Radio and I'd never heard of such a radio station and it just sort of tumbled from there over probably two or three visits to Brisbane from Melbourne. Each time I picked up a, a hire car, Vision was on it. Um, and I just went, wow, this is amazing. So, yeah, it's a bit of a long story, but, you know, here I am and just praising God every day and just learning, and I just love reading my Bible and learning about the whole history. It's just awesome. Well, it's great to hear that Vision was able to play a part. We, we, we hear about these God incidences all the time where people happen to just tune into Vision and then they started to seek after the Lord. Uh, what, a, what a great answer to prayer. Um Thank you so much for sharing your story with Absolutely. us, Heather. Yeah, no, thanks very much. And I hope um, Neil gets well. Yep. I'll be keep, trying Keeping your prayers. Thank you so much. God bless. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. And we've got uh, Richard from Swansea in Tasmania. How you doing, Richard? Hello. Hello. <laughs> hey, mate, have you got a question or a comment? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I dropped out just a moment ago. So That's all right. <laughs> I wondered whether I was still on here. Uh, yeah, thanks, Ken, for taking the call. I've um, struggled with some of the teaching I have heard from pulpits regarding um, taking the Bible literally or knowing when it is supposed to be taken literally and when it is poetic. Um, Obviously, chopping your hand off is not literally, but making an overstatement to get you thinking. 
what my question is, in Genesis, it talks about the world being made in seven days. And then in the next chapter, it's starting talking about, oh, well, you read that poetically because really it couldn't have been made in seven days. And I struggle with that teaching because um, I've found it a lot easier for my faith, starting off saying, well, God could have made the world in seven days, and then understanding through my growth that, yes, he did make it in seven days, and it makes it a whole lot easier when you um, look at the, the, the awesome power of God and how he could do that, whereas explaining what, all the, the gaps and bits and pieces if you try and throw in um, evolution and such like and long time gaps and, and so on. Good question, Sam. What Sam, what are your thoughts on that, mate? Yeah, I think God can make uh, the world in either seven days or 7,000 years or seven periods of uh, time. I, I think the bigger challenge for our world at the moment is that evolution one that you raise. I think in the late... 1800s, mid-1800s through the late 1800s, um, the ways people think started to move to a this-worldly materialism of just what you observe around and that a lot of the other ways that we know were put aside. And I think that's part of the tragedy of the last 150 years is that we've lost that faith in that which is much, much bigger than just a material world. And mm. so I think um, that that's a huge concern all around the world. It's a bit like you see a house and someone comes along and say, I don't believe in an architect and I don't believe in a designer. I just believe in the material house that I can see there today um, over this 24 hours. Well, I believe that house was there last week and last year and I believe there was an architect and a designer and, and I think the world points to that which is much, much bigger um, which could have been made in uh, whatever periods of uh, time. And, and I think the great thing about the Word of God is that it speaks about uh, the realities of the unseen yeah. um, that we see there. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Richard, for your call. We do have to leave it there. Uh, our time is almost up. But, Sam, it's been so good having you with us. We had a whole bunch of stuff we were going to talk about, <laughs> but um, obviously a lot of people wanted to ask some questions today. So thank you to everyone who's called in. And, uh, Sam, if people do want to find uh, your book um, is it online anywhere? Can people can look it up? Or? Yeah, they can find uh, both. Uh, there's a copy of my thesis out of which my uh, book came. Um, uh, that's online. So mm -hmm. if you type in uh, Sam Hay Mega Churches, uh, you'll find um, through Griffith University. Yep. There's um, uh, material and other writings that I've uh, put up on the growth of the church uh, in today's time. Uh, you can go to my Facebook page and you can um, uh, find a, a bit about me and some of the other things that I blog and put on there. You can send me a message to Facebook if you want to find out. Uh, uh, more and you could also contact me through the colleges such as uh, Christian Heritage College and others as well. Wonderful. I know my, my daughter is a graduate of Christian Heritage College and she works with Red Frogs and uh, a great organisation, great church, great ministry. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.